My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue, saying, Today, the scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself. And say, do here in your native place the things we heard were done in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent but only to a widow in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. It can be hard to keep track of how many different initiatives are promoted, especially this time of year, for people to engage in some form of self-improvement, which is no doubt an outgrowth of people making New Year's resolutions. January has been, become this time where you can't avoid stories or magazines or commercials, all that seem to be promoting good habits, better lifestyles for people, whether it's encouraging people to get a better handle on their finances or to quit smoking or eating healthier or taking up exercise. You can't avoid encountering all these different messages. And one of these that's pretty unique is that it's not asking you to buy something or subscribe or join anything. It's called Dry January. It started about a decade ago in the United Kingdom where one woman named Emily Robinson gave up drinking alcohol for a month to prepare for running in a half marathon in February. After she had completed it, she recognized that she had lost weight. She started to sleep better. She just felt generally better. And just by talking about it with some of her friends and coworkers, it started to spark more conversations about alcohol in general. This somewhat grassroots effort morphed into this group of people who wondered if they could promote this as a challenge to people to give up drinking for a month on a greater level with the hopes that people might just think about their drinking habits. They wondered if some might be able to identify, for example, after giving up alcohol for 31 days, that perhaps they had become dependent on alcohol. Or would individuals drink less after a month of fasting from it just because they felt better? So they hired researchers to 
conduct a study, and they found that six months after that first campaign ended, 70% of the people who participated drank less than they did before and less risky behaviors than before. And almost 25% of those who were drinking at harmful levels before have now moved into a lower risk category. So after this was so successful, dry January started to spread all around the world. It's an interesting campaign just trying to take the stigma out of talking about alcohol in a mature and pun intended sober manner. Many people suffer from alcoholism as do the families and friends of those suffering from that disease. But even for those who consider themselves social or casual drinkers, that they know that alcohol has a profound effect on the person, not just in the short term, but long term as well. So it's always a good time, idea to, from time to time, just make sure that it's something that's being enjoyed in moderation and not leading down some destructive path. And that's why I was really taken aback about a week and a half ago when a columnist for the New York Post published almost a full-page rant attacking it. The headline certainly caught my attention when it said, Sober Truth, Dry January isn't virtuous. As bars struggle to move past COVID, it's just selfish. The writer attempted to use stories about businesses and bartenders dealing with the difficulties of the economy in this COVID environment, which in case he missed it, seems to be affecting great numbers of people in all kinds of fields and all walks of life as his reason for being against this. So I started to read it thinking, this can't be real. <laughs> or the writer is just trying to be provocative to, to hook the reader to think it's an attack on people doing something healthy like refraining from alcohol for a month, but he's going to come around at the end to support it. No, no, not at all. It wasn't that at all. It was a straight out attack piece. And whatever concerns he claims that he has for bars and bartenders that he was trying to hide behind with this hit piece, the snark and the sarcasm undermined that right out of the gate. The first sentence, dry January, you gotta be kidding me. The annual month of self-righteous sobriety in which mostly young people go cold turkey on booze for four weeks and lord it over their non-sober pals only to immediately hop off the wagon on February 1st is mildly annoying in a normal year. But this year, it's a wholly selfish endeavor that's a slap in the face to struggling bars and restaurants. So let's get this straight. People choosing to refrain from alcohol for a month is being openly argued as a wholly selfish endeavor. I've been saying to people for some time now that the devil isn't even trying to be subtle anymore. Well, when the word selfish is being applied to people engaging in abstaining from alcohol, for whatever the personal reasons might be, that's just one minor example of evil, twisting and manipulating terms and words and definitions of which there are countless examples of these days. Because of all the things to get fired up about and attempting to shame people over, this was just way over the top. But in some ways, it shouldn't be surprising. Human nature is broken. 
we are prone to sinfulness and every one of us knows how hard it is to choose virtue over vice, to make good choices over evil ones. That's just the reality of everyday living. If we were perfect, if we were sin-free, we wouldn't have needed Jesus as a Savior in the first place. We wouldn't need to go to confession on a regular basis, myself very much included. And that's the point. Ultimately, we're going to always come to that fork in the road and have to decide whether to choose virtue over vice. Do we want to make a good choice over an evil one? Do we want to reject sin or not? Do we want to even acknowledge in a world that loves to confuse those things and live this in this fog of grayness that there indeed are blacks and whites, there are rights and wrongs, and people have to be clear about that so that they can make a proper choice about them. Because unfortunately, as broken, sinful human beings, we might intellectually know and understand those things, but when we're confronted with it in our day-to-day lives, when someone points that out to us, how we can make a better choice, how some things may need to change, that unsettles people. That's sometimes causing them to lash out, including shooting the messenger. Whether it's pointing out the physical dangers that alcohol could present, or even more personally and intimately, when important realities affect our souls is the focus. And that's precisely what's happening in the gospel today. We pick up right where we left off last week, where Jesus had returned to his hometown. The buzz had been great. Local boy made good. And for a town like Nazareth, where people were often just mocked and dismissed from being from that town, this was welcome news for sure. Amazing things were being said about one of their own, Jesus. And you could hear the excitement and imagine what the townspeople were saying to one another, like, I heard he was with John the Baptist and John's preaching and baptizing people for repentance and the sky broke open and you could hear the the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Forget about that. Did you hear about that wedding in Cana where the wine ran out and he turned six gallons or six stone jars into 180 gallons of choice amazing wine? Word like that travels fast. So last week we heard that after all that, he arrives back in his hometown and he reads from the prophet Isaiah and announces that he's the fulfillment of all the prophets of the one who was to come to set all things right. And they were excited. These were people who had suffered and had waited and had longed for all those bad things to end and for God's promises of fulfillment to be ushered in. So as Jesus announces that this day is at hand, things start off really good. The gospel says, all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. So what changed from that verse to practically the very next one? It's one thing to say nice words that are inspiring and moving. We like a Jesus who turns water into wine. Anyone would welcome him into their homes. But the minute he starts challenging their thoughts of what that Messiah was going to do, or conceptions of what it might mean to set things right, the moment it went from looking at everyone else that needed to change and instead start casting light that shines in people to tell them to 
to look within and imagining themselves needed to change as well. The moment it wasn't talking about the Romans occupying their homeland who needed to be overthrown and conquering that foreign adversary that had contributed to their, their people's long history of suffering, but instead conquering the pride of the evil within that infected each of their hearts that viewed other members of God's creation as adversaries, as enemies, as other. Yes, the moment it became clear, Jesus was telling them that the real work needed not to begin somewhere outside and somewhere else, but right there in that very place where God had revealed the fulfillment of all they had ever hoped for, the crowd turned on it. You could have gotten whiplash with how quickly they had turned on it. Jesus doesn't for a second back down or water down what he says. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And yes, he has come to save humanity, save his townspeople from sin and death, and to save us as well. But that's only going to come from following him, not trying to make him fit into our broken world and our sinful lives where we just continue doing and living exactly the same without ever reflecting on what areas, what things might need to change. This wasn't just an important, impactful day in that synagogue in in Nazareth over 2,000 years ago. The same is true here and now. We've just concluded about six weeks about the Christmas and New Year's season where God's lavish love for each and every one of us has been the focus of our attention. Where we heard the beauty of the birth of Jesus and how He's revealed as the one who is to come. How out of his amazing love for humanity, he humbly comes in poverty, makes himself relatable and accessible to us, solely because Jesus wants us to have an abundant life here and now, and even more for all eternity. That's part one of that good news for great joy for all human history. But it's amazing how often we can find ourselves reacting like that author mocking people for opting for sobriety for a month or like this crowd ready to throw Jesus off the hill. How defensive we can become when we start to hear part two. When we have to consider how well are we following Jesus or when we become defensive about how we're doing in our walk with the Lord. It's amazing how often I'll hear someone say that maybe they rejected an invitation to Bible study because they went to Catholic school, so they got it all. (laughs) Or they went on a mission trip once, so they don't have to do it again. When anyone ever argues they've got it when it comes to matters of faith and treating it almost as a a one-and-done thing, I I really shudder because either they're really amazing students or I'm really, really stupid and dumb. Because I still haven't figured it out. I'm still learning every single day, and I'm, I'm constantly being challenged by the Lord. It's an ongoing thing where Jesus continues to reveal himself to us, continues to challenge us, and invite us into deeper relationship with him. Every single one of us. Our baptisms, confirmations, and communions weren't initiation and graduation rites. They claimed us for Christ. They said that we were meant to align ourselves and shape our lives around him, not the other way around. And that's why that that second reading from Paul to the Corinthians is so urgent. We've probably heard that 
that reading, I don't know how many weddings you've ever been to, probably 90% of them, like they've probably had that as one of the readings there. Or you might have seen bumper stickers or wall art that display all those words, love is patient, love is kind. And it is, they're beautiful words. But it's amazing how we can kind of have blinders on or put ourselves in some sort of a fantasy world where we don't hear the rest of it, like an examination of conscience. Think about what Paul said. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It's not rude. Paul was writing to fellow Catholic Christians, and he was quite perturbed because he was hearing that they were, in fact, not loving, but were engaging in all those very unloving behaviors. And as he was reminding them and reminding us that love does not seek its own interests, it's not quick-tempered, it does not brood over injury, it does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Rejoices in the truth. More than just a call to a healthier lifestyle or better habits or simply just making better choices. Following Jesus Christ is about following the truth and has far deeper and broader impacts on each and every one of us. And that's why sometimes it will cause family tension when For example, instead of joining in on gossiping and isolating the black sheep, we try to reach out to them. It means friends will be unnerved when you say, no, I I don't want to do drugs or I don't want to drink. Or, yeah, I do go to mass. I am Catholic. And that's kind of important to me. So some of those blasphemous things you're saying kind of bother me. And they might turn on you for that. It might even mean relationships will end when you say, I don't believe in having sex before marriage. But this passage closes with Jesus not capitulating to the crowds, not listening to justifications or loopholes that we often make for ourselves. He's the truth. He speaks the truth. And he eventually passes through the midst of them, and he went away. And that was painful for him, for sure. Because he wants everyone to follow him. And he will work with everyone. He will grace and bless and strengthen us in that difficult work of following him, following the truth. But ultimately, it is a choice. It's a choice that I don't only make once, but renew over and over again. It's a choice that impacts my life here and now and for all eternity.